Ectoplasm Advent Calendar Day 13, Appleseed by Massimo Chirau. Um, specifically, I'm talking about the graphic novels because Appleseed started in the mid-80s. I think it's 85 to 89 were the, the four graphic novels or the, the content that went into the graphic novels was released. I think there was supposed to be a fifth volume and it was rumoured for years, but there's, uh, what, a 1995 earthquake where uh, the artist lost quite a lot of notes and um, so the only other things that have been published have been a couple of supplemental things like the I've got um, one called ID that's illustration and data and that gives a lot of background about the world of Appleseed plus a, a short story or two I think there might be a couple of others though there there have been several film adaptations I've seen one of them it wasn't very good at all um, I haven't bothered in watching the later ones. I think they're on Netflix. Maybe I'll check them out. But anyway, Appleseed is a sort of... It's an 80s manga with a cyberpunk bent. So it very much channels that sort of... That kind of near-future SF. Although it's not that near-future. It's set in the 22nd century. But it's supposedly after a non-nuclear Third World War has happened. And a few other things. I think a, a massive asteroid fell on China and created an enormous crater and, and there's a few other things that happened. Um, but what's happened in the wake of uh, a the, the collapse of previous nations, a new one called Olympus has risen and it's located on an artificial island which is uh, off the, the west coast of Africa. Although, as Sharon mentions in, in their notes, um, it could have been put anywhere, but that's where it is. So, supposedly, a lot of the old political structures crumbled, you know, fell down. There are no more of the old political powers. And our point of view characters, Duna Newt and Brarios, are two characters living out in the uh, wastelands of, I think it's America, but I'm not sure. And they're located by an operative of the Olympian government, uh, who's called Hitomi, and brought back to Olympus. And from there, their talents are put to work as part of their Olympus's extra special weapons and tactics at ESWAT. And it's basically them doing special missions as Olympus's attack dogs, both against uh, domestic and foreign enemies. Now, the important thing about Olympus is it's it's the it is the new civilization that's risen from the ashes, and it's supposedly, uh, you know, this utopian ideal of a society, but it also tends towards some kind of authoritarianism or dictatorship with some questionable objectives. Now, a, a good portion of the Olympian society are composed of bioroids, which I, I'm not sure if they are artificial or artificially enhanced humans, but there is part of the plot line going forward is, wouldn't it be good if we uh, mandated bioroid augmentation of all humans so that they were easily able to control? Uh, you can see where that is going to go. But one of the things I found particularly compelling about it was the way that uh, was the way that um, Junan is fairly low down in the ranks of people, but she comes into contact with various movers and shakers um, on the political scene. And we see that with a couple of other characters. So we've got this very much sort of ex-military, low-level, street-level characters who are caught in the middle of something that's bigger than them and in quite a few cases they'd rather they weren't there but nevertheless they have they express quite sophisticated political arguments in fact a lot of the discussion is around the politics of this new society rather than talking about the actiony bits which i'll talk about in a moment 
The artwork is you know, very much typical manga, big eyes, small mouth. It is probably recognisable to you if you know Ghost in the Shell. Now, Appleseed is very much, for me, it was all about the aesthetic, and, and that really comes down to landmates and bioroids and um, cyborgs, as well as a sort of a, a very obviously densely populated world, but one that is shiny and new. So if you imagine you, you had a, a plot of land and you had to house a certain number of people on it and you needed a very space-efficient design, you'd probably build massive arcologies and then connect them with lots of different roadways so that you could have multiple roads going over in different directions over the same space. And you can see this from a number of different illustrations of the, uh, uh, of the background. Um, but then we also talk about the sort of the landmates, the mecha, and, and the, you know, the military actions and mechs and body armour and all of that is, is part of the aesthetic as well. And I don't know if it's correct to say this was the first, but it was certainly the first time I saw it, where previously if you were used to um, a lot of the sort of Robotech and Gundam style robots that were very big and blocky and angular, and, and obviously look really cool. You suddenly had these landmates that were, first of all, on a lower scale. They're on human scale rather than on giant robot scale. The idea is that they can, you know, they're they're slightly above powered suits. And if you know Warhammer Forty Thousand, they're kind of like dreadnoughts. You know, the the one step up from power armor. But they're sort of on a more relatable scale. And so you imagine them being deployed the same way as other troops would be. And the other thing is how they look. They're not sort of angular and blocky that you, the way that you would expect a lot of the older mech designs. They've kind of got these ballooning curves to them. And it makes them look really interesting and almost sort of clumsy. And you get a very interesting sense of movement of them from the art. And this is partly thanks to the artist's excellent handling of action scenes. Sometimes the art gets a bit congested, but I, I have always loved the, the aesthetic of, you know, things in motion that uh, Sherald conveys. But yeah, landmates were the thing I was really obsessed with quite a while, and I, I wanted to do a role-playing game with landmates. What I originally settled on was using Cyberpunk 2020 married to the Mechton Zeta system, and that's actually a, a, a pretty good solid system it does have its downsides um but the interlock system is quite easy to understand i don't really care for the damage system in cyberpunk i think because you get a linear scale of armor that soaks up a lim linear scale of damage which means that you have an escalation in terms of the guns that people want and the armor that people want and then um all of that it tends to dwarf the amount of damage a, a fleshy body can take which means that it's um I guess you get the same problem that you get with rifts with mega damage as well. You, if you don't have mega damage armor, you will not survive. Um, if you do, then it's this tedious attrition of armor. Um, but I do think that Mekton works slightly better in scalability. I mean, having mentioned mega damage, which is a rifts thing, and before that it was in Robotech, um, the scaling works a lot better in Mekton Zeta, which actually does this really good thing with scale. It includes scales uh, all the way down from road strikers, which are landmate size vehicles, all the way up to, you know, colossal super fortresses. And it has multipliers for building these structures and how much damage they will do. Um, so there, there's a, a very nice sense of scale there. And I've often fancied running a sort of mech-based type game. In fact, I have run a couple. 
later though I realised the sort of game I want to run has not really got anything to do with um, war and giant robots per se. It's more to do with the giant robots being a tool of the characters. And I wrote a draft, or more than one draft, for a game called Black Mantle. And the idea about that is it's people living in a city surrounded by a wasteland that's dangerous and unknown. And Mantle pilots, basically landmate pilots, go outside the city to do missions because they, they have these protective suits and they, they engage with the um, poorly defined enemy outside the city. And then they come back and they you know have downtime with their families and they socialise and there might be internal plots as well. So that's, that's how I really wanted to fit into it. So mechs are basically an aesthetic. And if you view them as an aesthetic, you don't have to have a massive system to build them. What you need is a way of scaling up the human scale stuff to the, uh, the external world where the mechs are going to be operating. Because it doesn't really matter comparing a human-sized person to a mech-sized person or a tank-sized person if you're never going to make that comparison. So, you know, you tank versus tank or landmate versus landmate or mech versus mech, fine. Um, and that was the kind of setting I was sort of thinking of. A lot of that setup, by the way, was also inspired by other anime. Um, two, in fact, one is Attack on Titan, which is uh, sort of all about people living in the last city and defending against these titans who want to break down the walls and eat people. And the other one was, oh, I can't remember what it was called. Knights of Sidonia, uh, with an S. Um, and that was this sort of uh, generation starship where all the mech pilots ha would go outside this generation starship to defend against this alien. Uh, one or more aliens. It's not sh not clear if it was like a single hive mind or a, um, a collective of people. But that's basically exactly the same setup. And so that, I think that brings me to the, the last point I want to make about Appleseed. It's like, well, what sort of game does that inspire? And to me, I think, um, you know, it's already, it's pretty much written itself. You have a bunch of people who are outsiders, who have military training and don't have any real connection to the, uh, the Olympus apart from having been brought into there. So they they have to get jobs having been brought in from outside, but Otherwise, they just the only part of the community they know is themselves. And so they are going to be the kinds of people who will be prepared to go outside Olympus and do dangerous jobs because they don't really have a family life established. And, uh, and they also form you know, a, a subgroup within the population. And you can imagine these being sort of set apart from the rest of normal Olympian society, certainly from civilians, because uh, they... They have not grown up there, but you can also expect them to try to make friends and integrate in the way that uh, Dunan integrates with Hitomi and, you know, makes friends with Hitomi's friends. And that was the kind of thing I was thinking for Black Mantle as well. It's like you, you have a bunch of people with who don't really have much to lose. So um, they want to break out of their lives. They, they need to provide for their families or they have some other reason for doing dangerous missions outside the city. So they go outside the city and then they come back um, to the city. And if they make it back, then they are showered with riches and praise. And um, But because of their unusual status of being the people who set foot outside the city they don't really know how to socialize with people except themselves and they may have ties to their former life or their family who 
they may be providing for because they're the people they, they are supporting by doing these dangerous missions outside the city. But they also uh, they don't necessarily relate to those people anymore. One of the ideas I had for Black Mantle, it was kind of like Britain's got talent in that uh, the, the mechanism for getting experience points and upgrading your max and everything was going to be all about uh, getting audience approval. So it's cross between Britain's Got Talent and Big Brother, so you'd actually have a camera sitting over your shoulder when you were going into the field and the public would vote on you. And as a result, if you got public support, your experience points would go up and you'd go up, you'd get, you'd go up levels and get better kit and that sort of thing. So having done quite a few of these, I'm remembering a whole load of projects that like I abandoned in the past. I should probably list all of these once I finish this series and actually decide which ones I'm going to finish. Anyway, that's it for today. I am going to open the next door on the uh, Avangunda. Oh, an artificial eye. Oh, that's good to have a spare. All right, that's it for this one. Speak to you next time. Fictoplasm Podcast. Words by Ralph Lovegrove. Music by Chris Zabriskie. Find out more at fictoplasm.net. Fictoplasm.